Welcome to episode 26 of Year of Financial Planner Now What? I'm your host, Hannah Moore, certified financial planner and owner of Guiding Wealth Management. I'm so excited to share with you today's interview with Sophia Vera. Sophia was one of the first to really start focusing on how to service her generation. And as she says, she is not your father's financial planner. Sophia's firm, Gen Y Planning, has been the model for many new firms as they start in the profession. I love Sophia's passion for planning, which you'll soon hear, as well as the vision she has for her life, her practice, and the profession. Let's jump right into this episode. Well, thanks for joining us today, Sophia. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, Hannah. So I know you you kind of built up your name in the financial planning world. Um, so for people who don't know you, uh, who wh- who are you and what are you doing today? Yeah, I'm Sophia Barra, and I'm a virtual financial planner for millennials and the founder of Gen Y Planning. And I help young people make smarter financial decisions to maximize their current financial situation and manage their money more effectively. I think a lot of people hear that and are like, oh my gosh, like I want to do that. Like all that sounds so great, but I know it's not always as easy as it <laughs> looks on the outside. So how did you get started? Like what's your, where did your story start? How did you, did you know you always wanted to be a financial planner? No, I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> so uh, I'm an actor turned CFP. I was a, a actor in my undergrad. I did 15 full-length shows in college and was a theater performance major and actually a double major in theater and women's studies. And I decided I didn't want to be a starving artist. So I basically read every book I could on personal finance and business and would sit in the personal finance section of Barnes and Noble. Remember bookstores before Amazon? Um, And I would sit there in between studying lines and I would I would read books and not buy them because I was a broke college kid. And so I did that for like a year or two before I graduated and then decided I wanted to buy a house when I graduated from college. And at 21, I bought my first home and my friends started coming to me with their financial questions and asking me really great money questions like, what's the difference between a Roth IRA and a 401k? And how do I get out of credit card debt? And can you help me navigate through my student loans? And I started helping them and I realized there was this whole field out there called financial planning. So I started taking my CFP classes and in my second class, class, I met my future boss and he hired me at his firm and I was really in the back office. I just got my foot in the door, but that was great because they were willing to pay me $40,000 plus my health insurance benefits, which basically made, sounded like a million dollars to an actor kid. Um, And so that's how I got my foot in the door. And I was there for about two and a half years. And then I switched jobs to work with my mentor for a few years. And after that, got a job at a startup um, in New York. But I worked remotely for Minneapolis. And I did that for a year before launching Gen Y Planning in May of 2013. Did you always know that you wanted to work with your generation? Yes, but I was always told I couldn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So, so let's talk about what was uh, the fin- what was the financial planning world climate when you started? Um, old and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I helped a bunch of rich old white guys get richer, and that wasn't super thrilling to me. I don't, I don't know about you, but like that just didn't feed my soul, and just was not why I got into this. And I was really disappointed that I couldn't work with young clients. And I would tell financial planners, like, yeah, I really want to help young people with their money. 
And they would be like, uh, that's great, but young people don't have any money. And, and so they just didn't understand how I could possibly make any money doing that. And so to them, to most people in the profession, it sounded like a really stupid idea. But to me, I thought, well, my peers have great questions. There's no one for me to send them to. Why can't I help them? You know, you know, to me, it was a problem with the way we as financial planners were charging as opposed to the way uh, my generation was. Like, we just didn't have time to accumulate six or seven figures in wealth yet. And I hated that basically financial planners were looking at 30-year-olds like there was something wrong with us because we didn't have half a million dollars in assets yet. Well, we hadn't had time to accumulate that. And I had sat in so many client meetings with my mentor, Scott, who is fantastic. And I listened time and time again to these, you know, couples or these individuals say to him, you know, who were in their 50s and 60s or 70s saying, Scott, if only we would have had you when we first got married. Scott, if only we would have worked with you 20 or 30 years ago. Think how much money we would have now. And they didn't start working with him until a few years ago when they finally had half a million or a million dollars, right? And so I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, why can't we just charge young people a, you know, an upfront planning fee followed by a monthly subscription to pay for quality financial advice from a fee-only CFP? Why can't we do that? You know, and, and a lot of people said like young people won't pay that and whatnot. And yes, there's a lot of young people that might not be in a financial situation where they're ready to engage with a financial planner on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but there's a lot that are. A lot of my clients are have six-figure incomes, but they might have a $50,000 net worth because they also have money and, you know, they have their retirement account started, but they also have student loans or they're navigating through, you know, through, um, you know, they just paid off a car loan and they're trying to save for a down payment on a home and they have complicated financial situations that they need guidance on. And, and so I, uh, I wanted to start Gen Y planning to really help, you know, empower my generation make by making smarter financial decisions and manage their money more effectively. So how long have you had uh, Gen Y planning? Yeah, so I, uh, just about three and a half years. Um, I quit my job in April of 2013 and launched a month later. In that three and a half years, have you seen the financial planning industry change at all? Yeah. So when I first started a couple of years ago, and you know, you and I had been going to the Next Gen Gathering for a few years, and that's a, a financial planning conference with young planners. And remember five years ago when we were going and there was like 30 of us? Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, there were literally 30 of us. And we were like, oh my gosh, like you're young and in financial planning. Yep. That's amazing. <laughs> and it was just like, we had found like the other unicorns, right? Like we had just been searching for these people. And, and so, yes, like when I was getting started in this profession, I, you know, I got into this profession in July of 2007 and it was just fascinating like watching the market crash and and watching the the internet just explode with fintech startups and watching you know so many things changing um but i remember i i helped put together a mastermind group um three and a half years ago when i launched and um and um 
and there was like five of us from across the country. And I was trying to find like young planners who are also starting their own thing. And, you know, and you were in another mastermind group with some other young planners doing their thing. But they're like, we knew, we knew each other, right? Like there was like a dozen people that were like, Hey, like, you know, Jude Boudreau started two years before me and is doing awesome work in New Orleans. Like I'm going to call him and see what he's doing because he was like the one person I, I could think of that was like doing this before me. And now it's just like remarkable to me that there are 300 people in the XY planning network that's specifically designed to work with younger clients. And now millennials is literally a buzzword. And I just could have never predicted that when I was launching this business. And like, you're talking about five years ago, like this right. is 30 years ago. This is five years ago. Yes. <laughs> that's the thing that's really interesting is that we're looking to our peers to figure out what's next. And that's very different for our generation because previous generations very much like looked to their elders or looked to their, whether it was their parents or grandparents to, you know, navigate through different, um, whether it was like a financial decision or career decision or whatnot. And like the landscape has just changed so much that all my friends that are building businesses now, we're looking to each other to say like, who's six months ahead of me? Who's a year ahead of me? Who can I really learn from? Um, which is one of the reasons why I wrote this article for Michael Kitsis on how I launched my own firm with $10,000 in less than three months. And so many other financial planners have reached out to me, thanking me for that article, which is now two years old and extremely outdated, right? Like the things that I did aren't necessarily what I would recommend now, but I just haven't updated, like I haven't wrote another article for him yet. And yet people were just craving that information of like, how did you do this? How did you launch your own thing? Um, and so I'm really excited because I think that there's so many cool companies that are starting. There's so many young people that are committed to working with younger clients and are excited about it. And I don't want a million clients. I don't know about you, but like we seriously need help getting more young people into this profession to really move this profession forward in a lot of ways. So looking forward at the next five years, I mean, what, what do you see happening I see a lot more diversity and that to me is really exciting and we're not there yet. Um, and I think when I say diversity, I mean that in a lot of different ways. So more young people, more women, more minorities, um, more people in the LGBT community. And the thing is, is that though a lot of, um, a lot of traditional financial planning models don't really serve those groups very well, if at all. Um, and what we're seeing are more diverse planners enter that space and, and find these great connections with their clients because their clients can relate to them. There was this Tia Kreft study that came out that said most people want to work with a financial planner that's within 10, 10 years of their age. And what's really interesting is all of my clients are within 10 years of my age. So you're following that uh, financial planning pattern, if you would. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's just really fascinating to me because I think that, you know, that really applies to my young clients as well. I have a really diverse client base, which I absolutely love. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I don't necessarily know why that is, but I do know that it's because like, I think that a big part of it is 
because I'm a world traveler, because I feel like we live in a global economy, because my my dad was first generation. Um, you know, a lot of my clients are first generation or immigrants. Um, a lot of my clients value travel and want to know, like, how can I maximize my credit card rewards so that I can travel more? And I talk to them about that. That's not something financial planners are talking to their clients about in their 50s or 60s. Um, but it's something that comes up to, for my clients. And a lot of times, um, you know, these, my clients were able to go to college in the U.S. and that was kind of their parents' American dream. And now they're expected to take care of their family in other ways, right? They might be sending money home to their families or have a parent that lives with them or whatnot. And so these are new financial planning um, challenges that I think we're going to have to work with as financial planners that nobody's talking about. Like nobody's talking about the cultural Im implications of this, um, of this like new wave of, of millennials that's, um, that's really diverse and that's really, you know, um, both like has, have immigrant parents raised in the U S and has this kind of, um, different perspective. And that to me is really exciting. And I think that's really going to shake up um, financial planning for our generation. And then the other thing is technology and how fast technology is changing is, is super exciting as well. I think that more and more people are going to be using um, robo-advisors. I think more and more people are going to be using apps to manage their money more effectively and there's going to be more streamlining than I think there ever has been before. Now, do you view that as a threat to financial planning? No, I think that the new wave is like CFPs plus robo-advisors because to me, I can, so I use Betterment um, for advisors as my platform for investment management with my clients. And that allowed me to outsource a lot of the investment management to them, which gives me more time to focus on things like the ins and outs of student loans, taking a look at my clients, um, you know, mortgage and, you know, mortgages, really being able to like learn about these more intricate things that are, that are important to my clients, um, rather than spending a lot of time um, stock picking or researching funds and doing a lot of analysis of the investments. That's, that's not something that is my forte. And I would rather have us make big wins with tax planning, insurance, getting their estate planning documents set up, refinancing their student loans or their home, figuring out how to streamline their debt repayment. And that's really, I think, on in all those other areas where I could really provide my value on the financial planning side of things and be able to you know, help them with their 401k, which almost everybody has, or some sort of retirement plan through their employer and help them rebalance that. And then, um, and then use Betterment as well for getting them started with a brokerage account or Roth IRAs. I think this is a really easy question for you, but a lot of, one of the big critiques that I've heard about your model is that you just can't make money that way. Yeah. I mean, it depends how much money you want to make. I made six figures last year and that was really exciting to me. Um, so to me, it's working. Um, <laughs> and so is that six figures off of your practice? Yeah. Well, 
it was kind of like combined. It's like, so last year, everything was just under Gen Y planning, my speaking gigs, my financial writing. And this year I'm doing a better job of breaking some stuff out to Sophia Barra LLC and Gen Y planning LLC. Um, but you know, I, I, the most I ever made in financial planning was like less than $60,000 per year when I was working for somebody else. And last year I grossed twice that. And I got to write off all of my travel, all of the conferences I went to, ton of my travel meals. You know, there was just so many write-offs that I got um, that it just makes so much more sense for me to be a business owner. And I went from a startup where I was working 60 hours a week to working for myself 30 hours a week. And, and that was a huge thing as well, was really having a little bit more um, balance between, um, you know, if I really wanted to be location independent then I really wanted to be intentional with how I spent my time, how I, how I lived my life and not just live for my two weeks of paid vacation every year, which is what I was doing for my first five years in financial planning. How do clients pay you? A couple different ways. So they pay me an upfront planning fee followed by a monthly subscription to be a part of my financial accountability program. So I have about 40 to 50 clients across the country that have that pay me that way. And I send them an initial invoice through QuickBooks Online. They pay that upfront, usually with their checking account. And then for the monthly subscription, we set that up through PayPal. Um, everybody usually has a PayPal account. It's something my clients are familiar with. So that's what we've done. And then PayPal automatically charges them on the same date every month. Uh, the other thing that I do is I do some quick start sessions, which are one-time financial planning sessions where we dive deep in two to three financial topics and, and they get to ask me, you know, their most burning financial questions on that call. And then I send them a one page action checklist after our meeting. And for that service, I charge a one-time planning fee of $499 for that. And do you find that to be a really popular option with millennials? Yeah, I do. I think that I think that anybody who's thinking about starting their own practice instead of working hourly should have two different service models, one that's an ongoing service model and one that's like a one-time service model and and just package that because people don't know like they might be like, I have a question, but I don't know if I have a $250 question. And since you charge $250 an hour, I don't know if I should reach out to you about that. Um, and instead, this allows me to figure out, okay, I normally spend two to three hours working on a quick start session. I'm just going to package it for $4.99 and see who's interested. Um, and so I've done about two of those a month pretty consistently this year. I did about one of those a month consistently last year. So I basically figured out I was missing out on like eight to like, you know, about 10 grand a year in income by not offering that service the first year I was in business. And are you finding those people are coming back to do your other program or is it truly just like a one-time event? So most of the time it is a one-time event, but what's really interesting is I've had like repeat quick start customers. So I've had a few that have come back for another quick start and a few that have turned into ongoing clients. One of the things that I find interesting, and I guess I've always had this question, so about mm -hmm. your model is you do all this financial planning work up front. What do you provide on the back end? Like, do you do monthly calls with them or how do you provide that value ongoing when maybe they're only seeing the work done up front? 
so I don't do monthly calls. I do quarter or I do like check-in meetings every four to six months. And then I offer unlimited email support. So usually there's a lot of more email check-ins that I do with those clients rather than um, phone call or uh, I, I do video calls with my clients. And what I found is that they're busy young professionals. They want to know, okay, tell me what I should do up front and then give them some time to implement it. And so um, that system has actually worked pretty well for me in terms of being able to kind of break up that monthly, break up that retainer monthly instead of saying, okay, you have to pay me X amount of dollars per year for, you know, a certain amount of time, you know, each year you have to come to the table with this check and then we have our meeting. Um, I saw other financial planners in the past do do that and then people would like move their meetings out and whatnot and so this encourages people to reach out to me throughout the year as their questions come up okay let's go back to when you started your firm mm-hmm. so three and a half years ago you start your firm I'm assuming zero clients what was that what was that like like how long did it take you to really get set up yeah zero clients zero assets couldn't couldn't pitch any of my old clients clients, you know, like how did you not compete? Um, so what was interesting is I, and you know this about me, I hustle. So I wasn't just thinking, how can I land the next client? I was also thinking, how can I build my brand? How can I get my name out there? How can I, you know, what types of things can I do so that people know that I'm the financial planner to come to if you're a millennial and have questions about your money. And so I ended up getting some press pretty early on, which was great. I wrote a lot of articles. I blogged every week. And then I started landing some freelance financial writing gigs as well, where I would get paid for articles that I was writing. Um, I did this online financial chat thing for a while that uh, helped support me my first year in business too. So there was some other kind of side projects or side hustles, like I like to call them, that I took on while I was building my client base. And I think by the end of the first year, so my first year in business, I was really only in business like six months, right? Or seven months. I got up to like 10 clients by the end of that first, you know, half year. Which is really good. Yeah, which was pretty good. And I would keep in mind, I was like barely charging anybody anything at the time, but it was still like, oh my gosh, this is working. Like I remember landing, I landed my first client right after I got registered and just like felt really great about that. And it was a referral from somebody else. But then I landed the next month, like a client that found me online. And I just remember like being like, this person doesn't know me. They, they like were like a completely just like cold referral, you know, like a cold lead or whatever, you know, like I, but it was like inbound marketing. They liked my message. They liked my website. They liked, you know, talking to me on the phone and they decided to work with me. And I just remember how excited I was to work with them. That was the first six months. And then did you see just continual progress? I mean, you said you have 40 or 50 clients now. So I guess that would be a steady growth. Yeah, I would say, so what's interesting about this business and, and the way I'm set up is I definitely have more turnover than traditional financial planning models because when you have assets with a 
client, it becomes a little harder to like transfer those assets and whatnot. If we could just stop their PayPal subscription at any time. Um, so I would say that like I average about two new clients a month, but that I have had like a handful of clients drop off this year and last year. Um, and the, and so that's why I've continued to like kind of steadily raise my fees, including my upfront planning fee when I realized that, okay, there's a certain amount of people that are going to drop off after a year or two. Um, but what's been great is that a lot of those clients that have dropped off have like referred me their friends. <laughs> and so it's like, it's not like we like leave on bad terms or, you know, sometimes they'll, like, I had one client say like, Hey, we're going to take it from here. And literally three months later was like, Oh my gosh, can we do a quick start session with you? Um, I'm applying for an executive MBA program and I want your help navigating through how much I should take out in student loans. And so, you know, it was just like things like that happen that you just like, you just like can't predict. And so I always try to leave on a good note and just tell people like, as your situation changes, feel free to reach out in the future. Um, but so far, like it's been, it's been really steady and, and I feel really fortunate. I have a small virtual team that supports me. I have a content manager that helps me with social media and my newsletter and is helping me build out this course quite a bit. And then I also have an associate planner that works virtually for me as well and has helped me prep for client meetings, streamline my prospective client process, um, and sits in on a lot of my calls. And she is somebody that I'm really interested on in bringing in on under the Gen Y planning brand next year. So she can do some quick start sessions and she can start taking on, on clients herself as well. So if you were to start over today, like if you were going to open your doors, you know, next month, what would you do differently? Whew. Okay. Um, I do think it's really important to have a niche. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to grow pretty quickly and build my brand pretty quickly. And I, that doesn't mean that you only work with those specific people, in the, in the beginning, but if you can at least have a group of people that you're specifically targeting, I think it's instrumental in, in telling the world what you do and who you help and how you help them. I would also really work on creating educational content, whether that's, you know, start a newsletter right away and really think about how you can help your ideal client the most I do think a new wave of financial planning is going to be through e-learning, whether it's courses, workbooks, um, books, you know, just all of those things I think are going to be part of how we learn. And I think it's going to be important to have things at different price points, which is, which is one thing that I've learned quite a bit. And, and then the other thing I would say is, you know, really get to know your community, whether that's people in the financial planning community and being able to talk to them about your business. And you'd be surprised how many financial planners send, will send clients your way if you're really specific about what you do. Um, and then also, like, who who is in your natural market? Like, who are you already targeting? You know, I know some financial planners, their spouse... Um, 
is, you know, a nurse. And so their business is targeted around, you know, nurses or people in the medical profession. And those types of things are a really natural fit. And I think that just really thinking about who can I help? How can I help them? Why do I want to help this group is really, is really important. Getting really clear on your why um, is really instrumental. And then, you know, pay for a good website. Mine desperately <laughs> needs to be redone. Um, but I, I, it's still crazy how many people tell me how good my website is. And I just am like, thank you. I'm glad it's held up three years later. But I have all, you know, I want to do a rebrand. I want to get new photos. I'm blonde now. Um, you know, and tan because I live in Texas instead of Minnesota where I had brown hair and was pale. Um, but I do think it's important to spend a little bit of money on that because your website is the first thing that people see when they Google you, you know, when they're going to find you, when a friend tells you about, tells them about you, you know, what is it that you want them to see? And it's, you know, spend a little bit of time and, and money on, on that because I think it's important. How do people find out more about, you're talking about like your website is like marketing. I mean, that's, I don't feel like there's resources within financial planning for that. Where can they go outside of the financial planning industry to really find resources to help them start their business? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think starting to talk to other people, first of all, start your own research online. Figure out like whose websites do you like? Why are they attractive to you? Because when you hire somebody to build your website, the more examples you can show that person of your, of, you know, what you're doing and or of what you like, that really helps the designer get a sense of what type of website to build out for you. Um, so that's really important. I think through asking other people, like if you find a couple websites that you really like, email those people and say like, who did you use for your website design? And usually it says on like the footer of the website, like this website was designed by, and there's like a link to it. So you can often get that information just right on the sites that you like and interviewing a few different designers to get a better sense of um, their pricing and whatnot. Um, and I also think just, you know, we had talked about earlier getting to know more people in the internet marketing space and seeing, you know, if you do want to design, if you do want to offer, you know, an ebook, figuring out who has an ebook out there, how did they market it, who, uh, what types of resources are they using, who did they get to edit their ebook. Um, so I think a lot of it is just like slowly getting to know more getting, you know, getting your foot in the door in this community. I think FinCon is a great resource. That's the financial bloggers conference that happens every year. I feel like financial bloggers tend to be way ahead of financial planners on a lot of these things. And so there's a lot we can learn from them. Yeah. And I'm just going to add something on there. One of the ways that I've learned, there's a lot of like Facebook groups that are out there. Yes. Of people like this who are already talking, you can join them and just listen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to start getting exposure, even if you're not ready to do this yet. Absolutely. And, you know, there's different online courses that are out there, too, to help you start your own business and um, and really learn a lot of those skills that aren't on the financial planning or compliance side of things, but are on the branding, marketing, selling, that side of things. And, you know, reading a lot of books on those things, on those topics so that you can get really hyper-focused on what you want to do. 
One of the terms that you had used earlier was inbound marketing, and I don't hear many planners throw that term around. So can you tell everybody what that means and how, what that looked like for you? Yeah. So I, when I got into this profession, I didn't know if I wanted to because I was not interested in selling people insurance products that they didn't need. And I felt like that there was a lot of sleazy people like that, that were like holding themselves out as financial planners and doing like, like it's kind of the old when, I don't know, when you think of selling like door knocking and like having these steak dinners and those types of things that just like made me want to throw up all over myself. And so inbound marketing is the opposite of that. And that is where you get people to come to you. So by that, I mean, people Google financial planner for millennials and Gen Y planning is the top Google search. And then they come to my website and then they see I have a newsletter and then they enter their email and sign up for my newsletter. And so now they're on my email list and I email them every week, either a blog post or a, um, or a newsletter. And that has been my basis for starting to, to market to those people. And sometimes those people will stay on my newsletter list for many months before they decide to reach out and set up a perspective uh, to apply to become a client and see if they want to work with me one-on-one. But that's been like a steady stream of leads for me of people that are actually interested in my services. And every week I'm, you know, dropping a little bit of financial education uh, into their email inbox. And, and so that has been huge for me and very instrumental. Like I'm not trying to convince every millennial I know that they need to hire me as their financial planner. I don't do that. Instead, people come to my website or they see me quoted in a Forbes article or they read my business insider column and they click on some links and they come to me and they fill out an application and it's a Google form. And then my associate planner reviews it. And then she decides if they should get a phone call or not. And then she sends them a link to my calendar. And then I talk to them. If they want to work with me, I send them an invoice and a contract and they sign those things electronically and send the money electronically and we move forward. So it's all like systematized and it's all part of like bringing people attracting. It's, it's, you know, attracting people to me though, like the right people. And also, um, knowing that I'm not a great fit for everyone and that's okay. And so I'm not trying to sell everybody my services. I think that's such an important point, um, that you're not the right person. And the reality is, is that like, I'm not the right person for like 99% of the people out there. Like it's finding your 1% of people. Right. But the other thing is like Hannah, what I know about some of the work that you do is like, you're really great at working with, you know, like older women who are widowed. And if I had like one of my mom's friends reach out to me that was widowed, I would absolutely send her to you. And so it's like, just by knowing that in the profession, it's really interesting, like how we're able to help each other and connect with each other and really like support each other's businesses. And we don't see each other as competition. And I think that that's the other thing that's really new for our generation is previous generations. It's like, Like I still get people that are like, hi, Sophia, I am a financial planner in Boston. So I am not a threat to you. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I'm like, that's great. Like, I also have clients in Boston, but I'm not worried about you taking like my clients or whatnot. Or like, you know, like it's so funny to me when people still think that because I just, I just think like, good for you, man. Like, that's awesome that you're a financial planner in Boston. Cool. Uh, you know, like I, I, I want people to work with the best planner for them. I mean, I've referred my friends, my closest friends, like Mary Beth Storjahan, Eric Roberge, I've referred them clients. Like sometimes, you know, Mary Beth and I are like two of the, the, you know, front first page Google search. If you Google, you know, financial planners for Gen Y or financial planner for millennials, a lot of times people that interview me interview her too. And and decide between us, you know, and we have very different styles. So certain people are going to be better for her. Certain clients might be better for me. And that's okay. I would rather have those people working with the the planner that's the best fit for them. I remember sitting in, it was actually one of these, you're a financial planner now, what sessions in Dallas. And they were just like, people come to you because of who you are, not be, I mean, that's the primary reason. Yeah. And it was such one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, like, Okay, number one, I just about had an anxiety attack sitting right there being like, they want me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's so true. And once you realize that there's so much, you, you can just become so, you can play off what makes you unique and that's going to draw you more clients. Yes. And if you're looking for a good book on that, a friend of mine just wrote a book called Unmistakable, Why Only is Better Than Best. And he has a great podcast called The Unmistakable Creative. His name is Srini Rao. And his whole platform is like, don't be the best, be the only one that does what you do. And I think that there's so many of us that are, are out there just trying to, you know, copy what other people are doing. But the people who are really special are the, the ones whose work, you know, speaks for themselves and, and that their work is so unique that it's just very, very recognizable. And, you know, one of the reasons why I love working with my clients is because so many of them tell me, like, this is not the experience that I thought I would get from a financial planner. And it's because the conversations we have are often much more about their lives and their values and what, what they're trying to create in the world and, and how we can use their money to, to help them achieve those things. And so I often wonder if what I do will be called financial planning five years from now. Because it is so different than the way traditional financial planning has been done that has been pretty much solely focused on investment management and retirement planning. Do you bring in a lot of the life planning? I mean, I know some of the big names in the financial planning world, like the George Kinder, the Sudden Money, the Money Quotient. I mean, do you bring in like that type of stuff to these relationships? Yeah, I would say there's definitely that type of influence. But I would also say my dad's a psychologist and family therapist, and he's practiced narrative therapy for a really long time. And I went through a narrative therapy certificate training program, and a lot of it was about the power of a good question. You know, one of the questions that I ask my clients are, what was money like growing up for you? And that's a really big question that invites a good conversation. And I can see, oh, okay, this is why they need they have a lot of cash on hand right now, you know, because 
they watch their parents struggle and they want to make sure that they can always pay their mortgage. So they need to have 50 grand in the bank to sleep at night, you know, and just, and I'll ask them like, is there a certain amount of money you need to sleep at night? Like what, what number can the savings account not go under? Right. Because it's very different for, for different people. And, and I think that financial planning is both an art and a science and more of an art than a science. People think what I do is math all day. And what I really do is have great conversations with people. And a lot of financial planning is, is there's a lot of, of right answers. There's a lot of different ways we can, you know, what I love about this is there's so many different ways we can make the puzzle fit together, but we have to figure out what the picture on the box looks like first. I was talking with another financial planner who is from a much larger firm. I mean, I'm very much boutique size. And we were talking about this, this topic and how important, you know, I think it is that we really dive into, like you're saying, like their backgrounds and things of that nature. And his response to me was, that's great because you're boutique, but we can't do this on a large scale. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. I think that those financial planners will lose clients to the the firms that will have those conversations and work one-on-one with people in a very intimate way. And while it may work for their baby boomer clients right now, I don't think that that wealth is going to stay at the firm long-term. Okay. So maybe a little bit off topic, but a lot of what's been being published right now in the financial planning world is talking about how there's going to be consolidation within the financial planning world. Do you see that consolidation or do you see it more as startups like your own or other people's? Ooh, interesting. Consolidation in what way? Can you give me a little more context? Sure. So obviously, well, the broker-dealer world, the smaller broker-dealers going away, being bought up by the larger ones, or even the RAA space, Mm -hmm. where the bigger RAAs are buying out the smaller RAAs. I think that they're completely missing the point and that what's really going to take, like, what's really going to, like, that's a very minor thing happening. Um, and what's, what's more, I think on the horizon are these robo advisors that are going to be bigger, um, bigger players in the space than they, than they could ever imagine. And how that will disrupt their business more than yes, because they, practices. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because they have the technology, right. And it, it, it's from little things to big things. It's like, my clients can initiate a rollover electronically from Betterment. And then it prepares the paperwork for them. And in some cases, they can give an electronic signature and get it transferred. In other cases, it prepares the paperwork. They print it out. They sign it and send it in. And the fact that I'm, I'm literally trying to make a donation to my alma mater by donating appreciated securities and Schwab has at the top of the form, please fax this form to this number. Is like such a good example of how these major brokerage firms have no freaking clue how to connect with millennials. That's a really good example. Yeah. <laughs> There's I mean, plenty like, of them out there. Right. Yeah. Like it's just so basic. It's like, why are you telling me like, okay, it's not 1995. And then, and then it's like, okay, well then, so there was another way I could get the form to them, which was like, scan it in, upload it to their secure portal that was on their website. And then it tells me it's going to take them like two to four days to process it or whatever. But it's just things like that, that I'm just like, 
you wonder why people don't make trades in these accounts because just the processes are, are, I mean, like I'm in the industry and they called me to say like the fax wasn't clear enough. And I'm like, that's because I shouldn't have had a fax this form in the first place. Like, but you didn't have on the form, oh, you can upload this to a secure portal by going here and you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, um, I really think that the bigger threat is going to be the fact that these robo advisors are so, their technology is so much better and that the, the financial planners that get that are going to be partnering with them to help their clients, you know, in a more efficient, streamlined way. And that as these, these, you know, Gen Xers and Gen Y start to inherit assets from their parents and grandparents, I really think that you're going to see them start to move those assets because they're going to be like, wait, why am I invested in these things? wait, why can't I view my accounts online easily? Wait, like, what if I want to, you know, what if I just want to invest in index funds? How do I do that? What am I paying you? And, and they're going to start asking those hard questions. And those questions are going to make a lot of these advisors really uncomfortable. And then what you're going to see is these advisors are going to have to drop their fees because it used to be that 2% was pretty much the industry average you know, two decades ago for managing your money. And as we know now, would, wouldn't you say the industry average is more around like 1%? Maybe one and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's like pretty typical, right? So you're one up to one and a half percent. Well, I do think that with the one thing that can be commoditized is and streamlined is the investment management piece. And I think they're going to have to, you're going to see that number cut in half again to like half a percent to three quarters of a percent. And they're not going to be able to charge what they were charging. And, um, and to me, I think that that's interesting because it, it forces, it forces these big firms to really be more transparent in their fees. And I think that there's a lot more millennials that just are, are not, as hands-off as previous generations have been and aren't just like, oh, well, you managed my parents' money, so of course I'll continue using you. Instead, they're like, okay, tell me what this means. What's the strategy? Why are we doing this? What about tax planning? Tell me how this affects that. You know, like they are asking those questions. So to me, I feel like before there was, you know, 20 years ago, financial planners were the gatekeepers of financial information. And now anybody can hop online and buy a stock in minutes. And because there's so much information out there and people are inundated with different financial advice and things to try and new apps coming out and whatnot, they're seeking out CFPs to help them navigate through this landscape and make it make them have more awareness of how does this information apply to me? And they want to be educated as to their own financial situation, what they should be looking for. On the topic of technology, what, let's talk about financial planning software for a minute. (laughs) Let's. (laughs) So how, okay, let's just say the obvious, I guess, financial planning software usually isn't targeted towards millennials. It's usually targeted towards retirement planning. Yes. So I guess as a financial advisor for millennials, what do you do in that space? I don't use it. So that's the secret as I don't use financial planning software. 
Um, now, there is one company who I've started looking at, who I've kind of started dabbling in. There's a company called Advisor, A-D-I-V-Z-R. And I'd like to buy a vowel, but apparently they, there's none. Um, <laughs> Um, and I'm really impressed with what they're trying to do. I think that there's some exciting, like their user interface is just so much better. I think they're still working out, you know, what, what do we need? Like it, the financial planning can encompass so many things. Um, but they're great. I know, um, I've, I've met them a few times. Um, and I think that they're doing some really interesting work. And trying to make it much more, I mean, it looks much more like Betterment's user interface, right? They really want you to be able to, you can log in, you can have your client log in, link their accounts. Um, and they're, I think they're really doing some interesting things in that space. Um, but I just haven't been that impressed with financial, planner so financial planning software on a whole, right? As like a, an overarching theme because we don't know what's going to happen in the next 30 to 40 years, right? So it's one thing when you're doing running a financial plan for a client and they're 60 and they want to know what's the difference if I retire at 62 versus 66. There's a lot that we kind of know and there's maybe some things that will change, but we can like play with different scenarios. And I think it's just instrumental to have a financial plan you know, a retirement projection run at that time. But there's just so many things that are going to change in the next three or four decades that I think just encouraging people to get started saving for retirement, increase their retirement contributions, max out their Roth IRAs, work towards maxing out their 401ks, helping them figure out when's a good time to do a Roth conversion. When does it make sense to contribute to a a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k and helping them navigate through those decisions is, you know, so, so that it sets them up for options and flexibility in the future. And that, and that's really the best thing we can do for our young clients is because there are going to be some unexpected things that come up and there are going to be some, some planned things that come up, but we, we want to be able to have them, take advantage of those different things that come up or different life changes that happen along the way, whether it's getting married, having a baby, you know, wanting to take that dream honeymoon, wanting to start 529 plans for their kids, sending their kids to college, wanting to pay off their own student loans, retiring. I mean, some of these things we kind of know are going to happen and some of them we might not. And then there's financial implications for that. If somebody gets sick or if somebody switches jobs or loses a job. Um, so I just think if we can encourage people to save and invest and put money towards their retirement account sooner, it can just give them more options and flexibility in the future. I just talked with somebody else talking about like rules-based financial planning, but not rules, but set out those guidelines and saying, you know, this is going to be the best option where you are now. Yeah. I think that just encouraging people to take action or make, make things automatic could be really helpful in people getting on the right track. You know, just talking with a friend the other day, she said she saw a financial planner a few years ago and he basically told her, okay, you're, you're saving enough in your 401k to get your company match, which is great, but it seems like you could be doing a lot more. 
And she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And so, like, he encouraged her to set up a Roth IRA and max that out every year and then, like, slowly increase her contributions on her 401k. And that's resulted in tens of thousands of dollars in the last few years. Yeah, that's great. I love, and I love this new wave of financial planning of it really is for everybody and it's not just the retirement income planning. Yeah, exactly. And like for me, it's so much more fun because like I don't want to run another social security analysis. Like that just sounds so boring to me. <laughs> uh, and so I get to talk to people about like getting married and buying their first home and switching jobs and starting their own business and selling homes and moving and traveling and going on their dream honeymoon. And that is just for me really fun. And I can really relate to those clients. And I just, I just love it. I just feel like I have such a fun job. I just want to ask you one more question about this financial planning software, just because the people listening here are going to be more, I mean, they're in the industry. So without having a financial planning software, I mean, does that, are the regulators okay with that? I mean, how does that work with E&O insurance? Are they all okay with it or? Yeah. So that's a, I, I still have E&O. Um, I use, you know, I'd still create a financial plan. So I create a financial plan that's more like a to-do list. And I include a one-page action checklist in the back. And I use like a one-page retirement projection just to give people basically it's like two lines. It's like, this is what you're currently doing. And this is what we want you to be doing. Um, just to like, and, and just by showing them, hey, if you increase, you know, if you max out your Roth IRAs each year, which you're not doing right now, here's how this changes the amount of money you could have when you retire. Um, and so I think it's still important to include some sort of deliverable and just make it action oriented. You know, what I found with traditional financial planning was that these planners were running these crazy scenarios and handing people, uh, you know, 75 pages of charts and graphs that only Michael Kitsis could understand, right? <laughs> Um, and yet we, we as financial planners, like wanted them to like take action and make these changes, but that plan would just get shoved in a filing cabinet and then maybe taken out a couple days before they have to go in for their next meeting. Right. And instead I wanted to make my plans really actionable. And so I try to set them up by different financial planning categories, whether it's tax planning or retirement planning, estate planning, debt repayment. And, and then talk about like, here's where you're at. Here are the balances on all your debts. Here's what I recommend that, you know, which one I recommend you aggressively pay off first. Here's what you're currently doing for your 401k. Here's what I recommend. And, and really just saying like to do and then the, the to do item. And then I tie that together with a one page action checklist at the end with things that I think they should do this week, this month and within the next few months. And I call it my fridge sheet because I literally want it to be easy for them to print off this one page and put it on their fridge and see kind of what those items are that they're working on. One of the things that we used to give where I was at several years ago, we used to give out like binders full of information. And I just started asking the clients what's been helpful. Yeah. And I did that for about six months and it changed from a binder to just literally a couple sheets of paper in the meeting. It's like the entire conversation changed. So just by asking for feedback, what do you Mm -hmm. want? I think that's a really great way to start reshaping those conversations. I love that. Kind of as we wrap up, Sophia, looking at where you were, you know, five years ago, seven years ago or so, what advice would you give to the Sophia then or the person who is in that spot now? 
You know, my mentor said something to me that was really instrumental. And I had worked, I do think it's important, first of all, to get experience working you know, working at a firm, I think that that's really important because there's a lot that you learn by working with clients, by working with other advisors, by seeing different people's styles. And I think there's a lot you can w- learn from getting that work experience. And I, I do think that that's really important. Um, but once I had about five or six years of work experience and had worked with hundreds of clients across the country, especially when I was working at this startup and I was just seeing a ton of different scenarios and client situations and talking to a ton of different clients on the phone. Um, I really, I, I really didn't plan on starting my own business. I thought I would go and work in traditional planning and yet I really just had this dream of helping young people with their money. And my mentor said to me, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I just, went through all my fears, like, oh, that I'll fail, that I won't make any money, that no one will want to work with me, that I'm too young, that I don't have a grad degree. And he said, no, Sophia, the worst thing that'll happen is you'll have to get a job in financial planning, which is exactly what you're thinking about doing right now. And so I think if you build up a certain skill set, if you get your CFP, if you, you know, build up these skills from working at a firm, if you build up your writing chops, I really think that launching your own business is, is I really believe that entrepreneurship is the new job security for our generation. And I think that the new way of wealth is going to be through multiple income streams as opposed to working for somebody else. And that diversification, as we thought of it, when it comes to asset allocation for previous generations we will be talking about diversification of income streams as a way to create wealth for our generation. And so I think if you can start being more entrepreneurial minded while you're at an employer, that can be really helpful. How can you bring innovation to the company you're currently at? How can you help that company make more money and or save costs? And also for yourself, what can you do on the side that can help you build up your career or that can help what do you what skills do you need to learn in order to take your career to the next level and I think so often we think there are certain people that think that learning stops when you finish college and the people that I know that I really admire and really respect are life learners they're always reading a new book they're always learning a new skill and I I desire to really always be a life learner and to really keep keep reinventing myself keep keep creating the the career that I want and it and it's grown and changed so much in the last 5 years and a lot of it were things that I wouldn't have been able to say yes to had I been working for somebody else and I'm really excited to be able to say yes to those things now thank you for joining us on this episode of your financial planner now what we'll talk with you again next week